Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman. It's time to bring the orange with our special guest today. Someone I've been trying to line up for quite a while, Mr. Argenis Fernandez, FSA, Principal FSA. I've got to have that principal in there. How are you, my friend? I am doing very well, Lutz. It's been, it's been like months of me trying to hop onto your podcast and you rejecting me. Oh, come on. You're just, you're just too busy to lock down or I'm too busy to lock down, but you fit really nicely into the, in the category of smart people that I really want to get on the show. Well, I hope I'm up to, up to the challenge here. I know that you're up to the challenge. Hey, introduce yourself to the squad. You're also one of our fun rebounders that, uh, that kind of took a pause from pure went off to Microsoft and, learned some things, did some cool stuff, and then came back to Pure. You saw the light. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I took a pause from Pure while I was at Microsoft. <laughs> you kind of didn't. You were, you were trumpeting lots of things over there for us, were you? So, yeah, I, worked, I, I joined Pure uh, on spring of 2015, and I left Pure for the SQL Server Engineering team in the spring of 2018. And I was at Microsoft for just a tad under two years, and then I came back. To pure and the position that I'm that I have up here now is sort of similar, but it's got a wider um, a wider scope on, on the technologies that I work with yeah, because the world has fundamentally changed. No, it's totally changed, right? I think we're going to talk about and, that later. Yeah, on. Yeah, containers and hybrid cloud and all those fun things. But I know you're also looking after some of the I don't know these companies don't necessarily classify themselves as SaaS companies, but certainly providing you know like a service relative to an industry and how pure can go and help in those right i mean that's big focus of mine SaaS, msps you know the next generation of you know quick delivery of things whatever that is right and so yeah Yeah. and and agile delivery right and and you know the the idea that there's you know many enterprises who don't really want to deal with you know, the acquiring the hardware and acquiring the staffing, the people resources. So let's rely on service delivery from others. But guess what? They still need great data management that's simple and intuitive. So that's that's a good place that we play. Yep. And one of the things that I've been talking about a lot recently is the fact that when you have a disaggregated intelligence storage layer, there are tons and tons and tons of different scenarios that you never even dreamt of that can be served now in you know, a fraction of a second. Whereas, you know, with full on data movement back and forth, even stage data movement, you're looking at uh, and a long time to get those operations accomplished when you can just defer things to the storage layer, it's just a different world, right? Yeah, that's what it's all about, right? Is, is you know, the amount of things that we can do down in the, down in the software um, layer down there. Hey, what's, what's different when you came back to Pure formally, even though you were still kind of doing good things for us? When, when you were there in 2015, when you joined, it was still a little bit more startup-y. You've oh, it was come, very startup back, right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. was, uh, I was, uh, I was there when we rang the bell for the first time at the at the stock market. Awesome, I see. So, um, you know, I went through that phase of pure, of, you know, becoming big boys, and I sort of left when left when we had already achieved, you know, critical mass, and yeah. you know, the, we we had already started, you know, uh, making inroads into the market, into market share and being taken seriously and. When I came back, I realized that you know that all all of that was fully solidified when I came back, right? Like Pierre was looking at uh, now looking into the, you know one one in one in one plus million dollars a year of sales. That's 
you know, when, when I first started working for Parallel, that was, that was a, just a, a dream, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, much, definitely bigger, bigger sales, bigger company, and felt like a lot of processes were in place where they weren't there before. No, some, not necessarily red tape, but you know, now you had to follow certain, certain avenues to get things accomplished. So, but yeah. all good things, all good things. No, you get large enough and that those things make sense. Otherwise chaos reigns, right? So, I mean, you, exactly. you, you need to have some sort of, of process and hierarchy and, and things in place to make sure that we're, you know, reactive and respond to our, our partner, our great partners. And, and the our, other thing that was know, shocking customers. to me is when I went to our sales kickoff in, yeah. in February in San Francisco and I I didn't know half of the people that were there. Right, yeah, there, there was a time, and I'm, I'm only about three years in, but I feel like I knew more people and you know, just the, the, the rapid hyper growth, which again is awesome. That's more new people uh, to meet. Like there was, <clears throat> I, I got pulled into a thread with a, with a sales rep yesterday that I wasn't even aware was with Pure, but he was a guy I used to work with at Oracle. And it was like, hey, hey, welcome, you know, welcome to the pirate ship and um, great to have you on board and kind of reminisced about some of the things that, that we did than previously, but uh, you know he's a he's a great asset. So it's nice to see that we're we're pulling in those uh, those quality people. Hey, how are you holding up up there in uh, in the Seattle metro area? Right, as we're all kind of shuttered in, school school stuff's going on. You know, how are you holding right, up right now? It's it's we're we're in the in the low seventies and it's sunny, so yeah. it's absolutely gorgeous. I'm not complaining. When it's when it's forty five and rainy, then then we'll be miserable. Yeah, <laughs> but right now it's fine. We can we can manage. You know the it's it's not so bad up here. I'll say. Wasn't that about three hundred fifty five days out of the year where it's uh, you know kind of cold and rainy? <laughs> nah, it's, it's Sorry, yeah, I got a joke. Yeah, I, I hey, you know that. people people think that Seattle does get a lot of precipitation, like at the amount of of, of like actual rain making it to the ground is lower than that of Atlanta, Georgia, for example. Yeah, because they do get the torrential rain. We just get the little sprinkles all day long. That's that's the big difference, and it's overcast and gray, and it feels like it's raining, but it's not quite raining. So you know, it's, we're just I, used to that. And I think that wraps the first ever weather portion of the uh, Pure Report. So <laughs> hope everybody enjoyed enjoyed that little segue. Hey, let's go back to um, to some of the work you you've been doing with with um, you know with those SaaS. I don't have a better term for them. Maybe you can tune me on that. But on on those SaaS related you know, companies and, and get back into kind of the disaggregated talk that you were doing, you know, what's, what's the conversation like when you go to that, right? These companies want to deliver an always on service, uptime is super critical, obviously response time is super critical, but what, what's, what's that conversation like? What are the things they're struggling with, first of all, and then where do you go from there? So a good friend of mine from the SQL community got, uh, got me into this, uh, into this uh, uh, mental, state of you need to think cattle not yeah. pets yeah yeah of course and that is that is exactly what it boils down to, to for SaaS customers every single customer of a SaaS company has to be treated as part of the cattle not as a pet mm. however there are those customers that have special requirements and their little little you know h edge cases that are you know the, some customers are bigger than others and some are generating more revenue than others and we face the same problem up here right we get requirements from the very large customers and we get you know tons of requirements from the other not so large customers and we have to and the pms have to kind of manage those and, and balance those versus you know available resources on the engineering side they have a similar problem when it comes to management of data and management of compute and management of network and Overall, overall, 
stack management for those customers. And so one of the biggest issues is how do they move data around? You know, think about a customer of yours that could have, you know, a five terabyte database and they need to seamlessly do things with that data. Like I, need, I now need to copy that data over to some other, some other uh, environment that may be downstream. Even though it's considered within the boundaries of that one customer, that entails a full, size, full on size of data operation of copying that data over and doing something with it. Right? And a lot of the problems with, that we have noticed with the SaaS companies is that they're not, they don't have the level of automation where even, the, even those requirements that come from very large customers are fully sufficed in terms of, of, of scripting or, or in terms of orchestration internally. And that, those are the biggest challenges for them. Uh, if they have any processes that have to be babysit, the babysit that somebody has to, you know, a human has to watch over things. Those become a problem extremely quickly. And so part of the discussion with them entails, how do you leverage the storage layer for doing some of that work for you? Well, you don't have to babysit things. You know, you don't have to think about what happens if a computer host dies. Uh, what, and you don't even have to think about, you know, what happens if you're an array dies? which is also a, a point of discussion, or what happens if the storage host all of a sudden disappears? This, this is part of the discussion with them. If they have to intervene manually on certain things, they are doing it wrong. And that the, the value for them comes from fully being able to automate things, driving, driving operational costs slower, and providing that agility for the customers that actually becomes sellable items, right? I can tell a customer, hey, you know what? Your 20 terabyte uh, production database, I, I, can, I can give you a full copy of it for you to run QA on in a matter of seconds. That is the same track that we, the same discussion that we have with on-prem customers that are, you know, yeah. tr just traditional, traditional right. peer customers. It's just at a larger scale and you start thinking about these things. The, the SaaS customers become really, really, really interested in them. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. more to that though. And, 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 and with this, we'll, we'll, we'll move on to the next part of the discussion. Think about just a simple act of moving a workload. What does that mean within the context of a SaaS customer? I have this workload running over here. It's running just fine, but I'm running out of capacity, right? Whether, well, whether I'm talking, then typically boils down to, to the storage um, uh, infrastructure that, that it's running on. I'm running a low on capacity on that storage. I need to move that workload over there. Can you picture what that entails for a SaaS company? Even for, even for a very large one, that can actually be extremely painful. Mm -hmm. Just taking that entire customer, uh, customer stack and moving it and placing it somewhere else within the data center. There are some neat, very nifty tricks that we can do on the storage side to just help migrate all of that away in a fully automated, fully scripted fashion where there's zero human uh, intervention and all of a sudden things just pop up elsewhere, right? Imagine, imagine scripting out a full active cluster move for a customer where they don't even realize that the move is taking place. Totally possible with Pure. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of this gets down to, I mean, when, when you look at what these, what these companies care about, you know, you've alluded to bigger picture things around staffing, right? So if, I mean, if there's, you know, manual requirements or uh, a human, as you say, has to monitor and do things, that is not an optimal use of staffing. And that also creates additional expense. And every one of these companies is trying to be as competitive as they can be from the cost of service delivery. And so if you have all these humans having them on or manage thing and you have to acquire more of them 
and pay more of them. Not that we're saying those jobs go away. We typically say, look, those people can go do more interesting, you know, future forward looking types of things, you know, go support the development cycle or whatever. Um, that's really what it's, what it's going to address. And then there are some really cool capabilities. It must be fun for you to get in front of these folks and go, I know you have this problem, but actually here's how I can show you how you can automate it. They may not even know that you have that problem, right? When, when you tell them, hey, this is how you operate today, look how you don't have to operate like that anymore. But the, the gist of it is, look, we're not just making a difference on the upper layers of the stack, right? When we talk about databases and we talk about data management for, for SQL Server, Oracle, MySQL, which by the way, on the SaaS customers, we're noticing a big shift to our open source databases. Oh yeah, we're, understandably so because yeah. their their business is really all about margins and having to pay huge uh, huge licensing fees to um, to the Oracles of the world or the Microsofts of the world or the IBMs of the world. It's just not not something that works very well at scale, right? And in, in the end, it ends up impacting your business overall. But the pro the problem is. We, you don't just have to think in terms of automation at the higher levels where the data resides, right? Whether the data logically is laid out, but also at the lower levels, even, even boils down to how do you set up an array on, on your data center? Like how many humans do you actually need in the world of, of COVID? This is particularly important. Oh, yeah. How yeah. many humans do you actually need to deploy an array in your data center, right? How quickly can you get that up and running? Do you have to jump through a lot of hoops just to get that, 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 that out there. And this is where, you know, some of the partnerships that we have created with our channel, uh, with our channel, uh, with the channel in general, have been very, very, very useful. Yeah, yeah, really great to have those partnerships and address some of the operational issues. I'm curious, you know, and we're kind of seeing this all over and it was happening prior to, to you know, the pandemic and COVID, but what is the view by these SaaS companies of something like Pure as a Service, right? A utility-based sort of flexible scale up and scale down model. I mean, is this something that they're jumping to pretty quickly? Are they kind of checking it out or is it in the radar for future? Like, what's your take on that? My take on that is very, it's actually very simple, right? This, these, these kinds of companies are actually used to uh, a, a, a recurring consumption models yeah. and yeah. not not CapEx-based model. So OPEX is all the things for, for these social companies. So a model like Pure as a Service, it fits, just naturally fits into that. And that gives them the, um, the, all the elasticity that they could possibly need from a provisioning point of view. And having to forget about, you know, trying to play Tetris with, you know, existing arrays that they may have, right? It's true, though. I mean, I, if know, I love that term, it, though. I love when you, you tech guys do the playing Tetris, you know. Of you're, trying, you're trying yeah. to fit array, you know, this is what I have and this is what I need. And you're, you're trying to do that. You, that's, it's not needed anymore with PASS, right? PASS does away with that problem. You don't really have to think about it. You put the burden on pure to deliver what you need. And we're happy to do it for you, right? You just... Yeah. That's offloading some, some worries to Pure, and I like that. Yeah, well, and it builds really nicely on Evergreen, right? I think Evergreen's always been one of those things in this space that has played well, right? Instead of, again, doing the Tetris, it's, all right, we need more capacity in the array. We need to upgrade the software, and Evergreen allows you to do that without impacting the services you're delivering out. And that, you know, that, again, that hasn't gone away. That's still something that you get to go talk about, but now you get to do it in the context of PaaS as well. But in, in, and in the context of SaaS customers, that also has a ton of value when you say, you know what, I'm just going to give you more performance in, this, in, this set of, uh, in these sets of arrays that you had before. Um, and so you have even more pass elasticity on those if you choose the pass model. If you don't choose the pass model, then you know what, we also have the other 
um, uh, the the other capex space models for you, and you know those may actually you know if if you do proper planning, the margins on those are going to go to the benefit of the of the MSP of the SaaS customer. And in that sense, that it's it, it's, just, it's all goodness. It's all yep. goodness. You choose your own adventure there, and um, you know, we're just having great success with that out there. Oh, the choose your own adventure books. Oh man, I used to read those as a kid. I don't even know if those are still around, but. You know, they'd always kind of cheat and go read the pages at the end to see how things would turn out and try to try to game the system. There's got to uh, be an app for that now. There must be. Yeah. Well, they're probably all online now. Um, well, hey, it's great to um, have you working in that space. And, and I know, you know, there's a bunch of great teams out there that are that are working with our uh, with our valued SaaS customers as well as MSPs. So keep up the good work there. Hey, let's let's shift Microsoft um, and, and pivot back to that. What, when you went over there and we're, we're doing, you know, things in SQL engineering, what kind of things were you looking at? What were you working on? Oh boy. So I, I didn't know that I have seen anyone worked on so many things in, so, in such a short period of time. Um, I know for me, it was, it was kind of a like drinking from the fire hose. Cause I was doing so many things. I, I, I did, uh, PM work. So, um, product management work for, um, uh, for persistent memory support for the database engine. So SQL Server now supports uh, uh, persistent memory as a first-class citizen, so to speak, uh, for, for storage and not just treat it like block. Uh, so there are some functionalities baked into the engine now to, to, to deal with, uh, with the fact that you have such low latency uh, devices and that enables a whole bunch of scenarios that, um, that the engine is now taking full advantage of you know, and offering new functionalities based on that to customers. So I did that. I also did PM for SQL Server on uh, on Linux, not just, not SQL Server on Linux per se, but more specifically the layer of software that enables SQL Server to run on Linux, which right. is called SQL PAL. And there's a, you know, that's a, it's a long conversation on how that works, et cetera, et cetera. So if you, we can probably leave that for some other day, but suffice it to say that is some of the most groundbreaking work that Microsoft has done in, a long time uh, from a from a compatibility or retro compatibility point of view, um, and, that's, and a, that's, been, that's a true port type of thing. I mean, there's it's not like a, a goofy emulation or anything. I mean, you guys actually did the work. It's not a true port at all. Actually. Oh, it's not. No, okay. No, SQL Server on Linux is actually SQL Server on Windows compiled for for uh, Windows. So it's compiled. Got it. Okay. It's compiled right. for Windows, right? So and the executable that you end up with gets actually modified ever so slightly so that it runs on top of Linux on top of this thing called SQL PAL. Okay. So, so there are, there's a lot of nuisances in there and uh, the, yeah. the modification, the patching of the, of the executable itself is super interesting because you're taking, you're taking little instructions on the binary, removing those out so that there is no transition between user mode and kernel mode, but you, you handle those at the SQL PAL level and then interpret those, whatever intent there was into actual Linux and uh, Linux calls. It's it. super, super, super interesting. Yeah. And that same concept, that actually derives from a project from Microsoft Research called Drawbridge that started back in 2009. Um, super smart people that worked on all, on all this stuff. Their legacy is not only SQL Server on, on Linux, but a ton of other things that I can't even mention here uh, that Microsoft is using both internally and externally uh, on other products. Um, that are leveraging that technology. It's, it's super interesting. Yeah, well, and it's all kind of related to sort of the platform for cloud, right? I mean, they, you know, they had this vision, you know, at some point that, 
you know, Azure and, and cloud and hybrid really was going to be the way. So to go there and just say, yeah, we have one OS and that's all you can go do. That's not going to play in that, in that community. People want choice. People want options. They have different OSs they're using. So I think all that kind of makes a lot of sense. So SQL Server on Linux was actually the uh, NSQL power, the basis for uh, big data clusters. Yeah. Because they exclusively run on, on Kubernetes and, and Linux based containers these days. And, uh, Additionally, Azure Arc, that's mm -hmm. also going to come, uh, it's coming down the pipe, and that is also going to run exclusively in, uh, on top of Linux-based containers. So it's fascinating to see the shift from, you know, from what used to be a monolithic Windows-only well, uh, kind of world into a much more diverse ecosystem for Microsoft. So. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, tell me more about Azure Arc, because that seems to be a really interesting, you know, area. I keep reading more about it. We're certainly looking at it quite closely here at Pure and talking about it, but um, what's what's your view on that? Or give us the 50,000 foot view. Well, I think it's fascinating to see the uh, Microsoft now decide that the level of automation and the level of, um, of uh, intelligence services delivered in the cloud can now be brought on-prem, right? Where you now run Microsoft data services on top of your own hardware. So Azure Arc is really um, an umbrella a term for many technologies. Uh, it's just a marketing term, right? Yeah. Azure Arc has several kind of, uh, of different verticals to it. And one of them, so there's Kubernetes management cluster, uh, cluster management, and there's, there's VM management. There's, there's a bunch of things, right? So they're extending Azure's um, uh, resource management on-prem, but they're also extending into the realm of data services that run on Azure, bring those, uh, bring equivalents to those on-prem, so you can run them on your on your own hardware. But the on-prem part is actually not true because you can run them wherever you want. All you need is a Kubernetes cluster, just like BDCs, big data clusters, only require a Kubernetes cluster and the same uh, and the, uh, and, and the same uh, version. Then Azure Arc allows you to run Azure data services on top of any Kubernetes cluster, including AKS and, you know, cloudy things. Yeah. So yeah. you have, you have a true way of keeping your workload, uh, uh, um, mobility on, in check, because now you can take anything that you run on-prem, just move it back and forth between on-prem and cloud. That's actually a super interesting concept, right? The fact that you're going to be able to take workload that's running on-prem, just swing it to the cloud and it's going to, but, Remember what we were talking about before, and this kind of ties in nicely into what we were saying before. You're gonna have to have some tricks under your sleeve to enable those scenarios to happen faster because the last thing you want is a full-on size of data operation for something that's very big, right? Maybe for something small, it's fine, but for something very big, you only have so many ways of doing it. And deferring things to the storage layer becomes interesting. This is, these are all the things that we're looking at, and this is what we're working closer with Microsoft on. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's interesting. And again, you know, a lot of what I keep seeing and things that we're writing about is is really how do we close the gap between the you know the developers and kind of containers layer and the and the infrastructure, right? Because there's kind of been a gulf in that space over time, and and there's you know these these technological innovations and things that are coming out are kind of pulling those together now. Absolutely right. We have way too many customers that are still stuck in. And 2008, where you know mm -hmm. you have to still go provision a VM, you have to go back for the storage for it, and then on top of the VM you deploy an operating system on the guest side, and then on top of the operating system on the guest you deploy a, you deploy an RDBMS or or maybe just some big data solution. 
or no SQL solution. You know, dude, it's, what is it? It's 2020. Yeah. <laughs> like people are just used to cloud now. This is what they want. They want that cloud experience where you just click and something happens on your behalf. And when you really think about it, that just entails a lot of automation and a lot of abstracting layers, but you also have to have at every single at every single layer of that stack, you know, every single every single level of that cake is gonna be tasty. It's gonna have some flavor to it that adds to the to to the overall uh, enjoyment or or provisioning of good services at the very top. Uh, that's just how it is, right? The the, the world is now moved on to a fully automated world. Yeah. If anyone is thinking, you know, let me let me find my ISO for Windows Server 2019. Uh, I'm sorry, just not it. Yeah, let's move on. Pass. Yeah, yeah. Well, which, and again, which is which is why I love that you know you and 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 others on the technical solutions team, you know, the really take an API driven approach, right? Kind of at the foundational level to make sure that we're connected into these things. Um, kind of last thought: where do you where do you see the really good synergies between what Microsoft's working on and what we're working on? Again, not forward looking necessarily. We don't want to get into trouble with exposing roadmappy things, but you know, if you look at what they're doing and. Some some of the things you just talked about and you look at what we're doing, maybe, you know, it's PSO or, or other areas. What, what are the synergies? What stands out for you? I think PSO is such a fundamental part of everything we do these days. Yeah. Uh, and Simon and J.O. Will probably, will probably back me up on this and start clapping when they hear this. It's true, though. PSO is such a fantastic piece of our, piece of our stack because it really helps you drive cloud-like behaviors. El- independent of what your infrastructure even look like even looks like and so i think that's that's a key part of it uh and the other there may be there are certainly other things that i'm not at liberty to discuss here right but uh i think pso is just such a pivotal product for us and what i what i love about it is the experience it provides you know um you you spoke to remco so i'm sure you talked about pso explorer that is that is just a great piece of uh, piece of software, right? And the fact that we're now making things also graphical and also very easy to access from um, from our GUI, it's just it's just fantastic. So we we definitely need to to keep pouncing on that, um, keep pouncing on the idea of having storage based operations aid whatever the business wants to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, there's there's a lot of layers of abstraction in between, you know, one and the other. But at every stage, you can accomplish, you can leverage services offered, offered by the storage side to do things. This is why I, I kind of hate people, hate it when people are just investing on dumb storage. Right. You know, yeah. it's, it feels like such a waste. And, and that's also why I came back, be flat out honest with you. I, I just love the idea of being able to do intelligent things at every layer of the stack, and we're really well positioned for that. Yeah, yeah, well, and it's, it's great to hear your thoughts on Pure Service Orchestrator PSO. We did have Remco on, uh, uh, so go back and listen to that pod if you missed that one. And even John Owings, who's, who's one of our uh, field specialists in the containers and Kubernetes space, um, like three or four months ago, we had him on to, to chat containers, but of course we, we, we chatted PSO as well too. And so it's great to you know, hear that. We we've certainly are, are pulling some additional resources and kind of realigned internally around and behind PSO because we are hearing so much from users that it just absolutely goes to the heart of what they were challenged with and we're doing it in a way that's different than, than everybody else. There are things that we also want to facilitate as, as, as a 
as a first class uh, partner of uh, folks like VMware and Red Hat mm -hmm. and Microsoft, right? We want to foment a synergy between all those companies. So they foster the ecosystem further and make sure that, you know, customers are not left siloed and they have workloads that all of a sudden have no path into whatever else is coming. So all of those discussions are taking place and we're, we're kind of like very well positioned to help those, our, our, our partners uh, thrive and, and developing those ecosystem plays and that, you know, more on that will come. Soon. More on that to come. But see, what I love about all this is this does not just devolve into a storage conversation, right? I mean, we talk about all these things and we're talking at the, at the areas and in the use case and the outcome places where, where all these customers are thinking, right? Storage then becomes an afterthought because we, we, we make everything so easy. Uh, I'm going to be flat out honest with you, Lutz. Look, I don't think our name should be Pure Storage, but, you know, it is, it, it's, it's our legacy name for now, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well... Yeah, that's all right. We we uh, we we fight through that and uh, we make it work. Hey, anything? Uh, thanks again for coming on. I know this has been a long time coming. We got to do this again soon. Uh, anything that you want to plug out there? I love following you on Twitter, so you know, pop that handle out there. And I know you've got you got frequent blogging going on. So where can folks find you? Oh well, I'm I'm all over the place. So I'm on Twitter at uh, DBR Genesis. So tons of storage commentary is sprinkled with. Uh, with the uh, occasional political opinion these days, you know, because the environment is so But yeah, there's that, there's tons of goodness. Uh, I, as a SQL Server guy, which I, I kind of still label myself that way, uh, you'll find a lot of, of me uh, throwing help uh, uh, at folks that uh, post on the hashtag SQL help hashtag. Uh, it's been around for, for a really, really, really long time. So I do a lot of work with the SQL Server community. I was just awarded MVP again uh, for Microsoft yesterday. So. Me too, and I was gonna throw that in at the end and say congratulations on getting your MVP. Thank you, thank you. I'm very, I'm very happy about that. I'm very That's thankful awesome. to Microsoft for, uh, for letting me use that batch again. Uh, I am eager to learn about all the things that I couldn't learn after I, I left Microsoft because I didn't have the MVP NDA in place. But, um, you know, this is, uh, uh, this is just, something that I, that I like to do a lot, right? I talk with people openly, whether Microsoft, VMware, uh, Red Hat, or anyone else on their, on their Twitter space. It's just, it, there are very good conversations to be had there about the future of technology. And, you know, um, you know Twitter can be a nasty, a nasty place at times, but when you look through it, there's, there's actually tons of goodness and tons, tons of reasons why, you know, why collaboration is, it takes place there sometimes. Yeah, and I see a lot of your good threads, and that's a that's a good uh, a good reminder. So if if you want to reach out and uh, just kind of throw something by our Genesis uh, at DBR Genesis on Twitter, and uh, you can strike up a conversation with them. And as you can tell from this uh, this twenty five or thirty minute or so podcast, a lot of interesting ideas, a lot of stuff going on. Hey, thanks, man, for coming on. It was a blast. Lutz, thanks for having me, man. Yep, we're going to do it again soon. You watch out. I'm going to carve out some more time. All right, everybody, with that, we will go ahead and wrap. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for telling a colleague. Keep the suggestions coming in, and we will continue to have great speakers on with great topics and uh, folks like our Genesis. And with that, we will wrap this episode of the Pure Report for Pure Storage and our Genesis Fernandez. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you. <laughs>